Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. Good morning. We continue our study entitled Frustration, Failure, and Faith. That is with a subtitle, Trusting God in Trying Times. Today we're looking at, uh, at Mary of Bethany from the New Testament. And our subtitle is, When Our Priorities Betray Us. Now, let me just say this in preference to talking about Martha of Bethany. For some people, Martha gets a really bad rap because uh, when you compare her to her sister, it seems like uh, Mary is the very spiritual one and Martha is more the pragmatic type. But let me say this. We're going to see that uh, Martha was a theological student. Uh, Martha genuinely loved Jesus and Jesus genuinely loved Martha. And also we're going to see uh, that the importance of, uh, of being an active person like Martha was. That is, thank God for the Marthas in our churches today and the Marthas of the world because if everybody just sat around and uh, did nothing, uh, nothing would ever get accomplished. Martha was a type A type person. She had some problems just like Mary was, uh, was a type who sat at the feet of Jesus, but she had, I'm sure, her set of problems too. But today we're going to focus on Martha of Bethany. And just by way of introduction, and I refer you to your notes, uh, let's remember about the deceitfulness of the human heart because that's, that's where we start. That's square one. The reason that many people believe that, uh, that uh, people are basically good is because they don't understand what the Scriptures say. They're ignorant of what the Scriptures teach regarding the condition of, the, of human beings. Notice the passage from Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 and this is from the New International Version says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure notice it is beyond cure who can understand it well obviously God understands it but we don't understand our own hearts very often we do things we say well, I just I don't know why I did that that I did we don't understand a lot of the things that are going on inside of us but the unsaved person the heart of the unsaved person is beyond cure God has only one cure when he saves us and that is death to the old person and that person is raised to newness of life in Christ notice uh, out and uh, the passage from Matthew chapter 12 uh, the last part of verse 34 where Jesus in speaking is speaking and says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. In other words, why do we say the things that I do? That we do? Why? Why do I say the things that I do? It's because it's um, it's evidence of what is really in our hearts. And sometimes, we, in retrospect, we look back at the things that we've said to someone, and we say, "My goodness, I just, I can't believe I even said that." But it shows us that even as believers in Christ, there is this problem that we have with the 
flesh. This thing that just simply does not want to die. It keeps raising its head. And I made a note of that again in your notes in that second part there where it says uh, the deceitfulness of the human heart even in the true believer. Because notice what Paul wrote, and we're most of us, I think, are familiar with this in Romans chapter seven, verse twenty-one and following, where he writes, "When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, that is the the, the person that I really am, this this new person in Christ. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making." me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Because he's saying, look, I, with my mind, I'm, I'm wanting to do the right thing. But there's these members of my body who've got, as it were, a mind of their own. My, my hands do things that they don't need to be doing. My feet take me places that I don't need to go. Uh, my tongue speaks things that I don't need to speak. Uh, my eyes betray me. And he's talking about the conflict that we have, that though we are new in Christ and we have a new nature, we have a new heart, a heart that only desires to please God, yet this newness that we are, this new person that we are, is housed in a body that is habituated by sin. That we've learned strategies for living over the years and those strategies just don't die easily. And our tendency is to say to ourselves, although I think we do it so automatically we don't even realize we're saying it to ourselves, Essentially, what we say is, well, you know, I don't need to check with God on this. I don't need to. I know how to handle this situation. And in fact, sometimes the idea is, well, if I can keep God out of this, I can make this thing work. And that's the kind of thing that he's talking about here. He goes on to say, what a wretched man I am. That is, because of this conflict, uh, this this problem that's going on within him. Uh, Who will rescue me? from this body of death. And then he gives the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And notice Romans 8 continues. He continues this train of thought. And the very first thing he says in Romans 8, after after going through this and talking about his his wretchedness and the struggles that he he has, first thing he says, but there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And that's the great thing about a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Well, having said that, let's begin to talk a little bit about Martha just by way of background uh, for Martha herself. Remember, she's the oldest of three siblings. Do you remember the, the names of, uh, of the others? Yes, that's right. She ha- I've already said one of them. Uh, she has a sister named Mary. It's apparent <clears throat> that Martha was the eldest of the three children because uh, it, it is referred to as her house in, a, in one or two places. And, uh, uh, but she also, she and Mary had a brother, remember his name? That's right, his name's Lazarus. 
she was a homeowner in Bethany. Bethany's located about uh, two miles southeast of Jerusalem. She probably was a widow. We don't know that for sure. The Bible never says that. But from a cultural standpoint, probably the reason that she's a homeowner is that she inherited that uh, after her husband died. Now it may be that you know she hit the lotto somewhere along the line, and that's how she was able to buy this. But it's unlikely that something like that happened. Uh, as far as her personality is concerned, we know that she's she's a very hospitable person. We're going to certainly going to see that. She's an extremely practical person. She was decisive. She was strong-willed. She was outspoken. Uh, those are all very positive things, but they can have a negative side, and we're going to see some of that here in a few minutes. And the, the I guess the most important thing is clearly she is a true, or she was. And, and is, because I'm sure she's with the Lord today, she is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what we're going to do is we're going to look at three scenes today. We're going to look at uh, a scene from Luke chapter 10 that takes place oh somewhere between about six months and a year prior to the resurrection. And then we're going to, the second scene will be from John chapter 11. And uh, that takes place about two months prior to the, uh, to the crucifixion and resurrection. And then finally in John chapter 12, we're going to take a final look, a very little short scene uh, that takes place just a week before Jesus crucified crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. So with that in mind, let's uh, let's begin by looking at the passage from Luke chapter 10. And uh, we're going to see Martha's preparations. There's something that's about to happen. And we're going to see what her priorities are and how her priorities created problems for her. Now, let's, let's just read the passage uh, just uh, beginning at Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and following. It says, Now, as they went on their way... Now, if you look at this in, in the context, and I, and I always encourage you to read, read the whole thing in your Bible so that you get the context. Remember, any text out of context is a pretext. You can, you can take verses and make the Bible mean almost anything if you lift them out of their context. So I always encourage you to read it, uh, the story in toto. Now as they, and the they refers to Jesus and His disciples. Now how many of His disciples were with Him at the time? It doesn't say, but there, there were some. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And, and it happens to be this village called Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to Him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So, very short passage, but there's a lot that we can learn here. So, 
Uh, it begins, we see, with Martha's preparations. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, perhaps, uh, all, and, and if it's all 12 of them, that would have been 13 people who show up as unexpected guests there without, uh, without any warning whatsoever at Martha's house. And, uh, and as we see, it says that Mary uh, had been helping Martha to start with in the preparations. In other words, the word came apparently that, uh, uh, that Jesus and his disciples were on their way. And so Martha and Mary got busy. And there would have been a lot of things to do. I don't know whether they would have necessarily had enough food there at the house to feed that many unexpected people. So there would have been some marketing to do. I'm sure there would have been a little bit of tidying up, although I think probably Martha was quite a housekeeper herself. And there would have been any number of things. There would have been cooking, want well, to be sure you've got enough places for people to sleep, uh, just all kinds of things like that. And it is clear from verse 40 that Mary had been helping Martha to start with. Because notice again, verse, verse 40, it says uh, her remark, Martha's remark to Jesus is, Lord, uh, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Notice, and the, and the whole em- emphasis on left me is that Mary had been helping out Martha to start with, getting things, uh, getting things gone. But then... Martha's preparations reveal what her priorities were. She, she, she's re- Martha's really attentive to all her preparations. She's a doing person. She is. She's planning on the things that she's going to serve. She's managing, apparently managing Mary there to start with. You know, Mary, you need to be doing this and probably telling old. Uh, we don't know where Lazarus was at the time. But maybe telling him that he need to do so and so, and he's probably like most of us guys. He just made himself scarce, so that uh, so that there wouldn't be a, he he wouldn't be involved in all of this. But it says she welcomed him into her house, and uh, and notice that the next thing we see is that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. So Jesus and his disciples arrive at the house. And Martha's, you know, all excited, and I'm sure Mary was excited too. And as soon as Jesus arrives, and and you know, everybody says their hellos, and Jesus sits down in the in the living room or the den, and he begins to talk. Well, Mary just says, "Well, that's that's enough of this. You know, the master's here, so I'm going to go sit at his feet and listen to what he's got to say." I mean, here's a here's a one-on-one opportunity to sit at the feet of the Son of God. And of course, Mary's taking advantage of that opportunity and Martha is, uh, is concerned about dust bunnies and, and beans and uh, is there enough lamb and uh, are the towels clean and are, are there enough linens for all these beds for all these people good grief. Where is, where is my help? That sort of attitude. So, 
to make a long story short, Martha is is getting beside herself to make uh, because um, Mary is no longer helping her. And notice it makes for a very awkward situation. But it says Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, that is, up to Jesus, and said, "Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve her, to serve alone? Tell her then to help me." Notice what an awkward situation that this has uh, that this turned into. That because according to Martha here, she's accusing her guest Jesus of not caring about her, about Martha, and she's giving Jesus orders. Here's here's the person who created the universe, and she's giving him orders and saying, "You need to tell my sister to help me because we got a, there's still a whole lot of stuff to do." Tell her then to help me. Now, you know, Mary is not being cooperative. She's not willing to help anymore. And Jesus, you're not sympathetic with uh, with my plight. We've we've got to get all this organized. This has all got to get done. And you need to make Mary cooperate with me so we can get this uh, get this accomplished. And notice what Jesus' response to that is. But the Lord answered her, Martha. Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. I don't think there are any understatements in the Bible, but if there were any, uh, this is probably one of Martha was distracted and worried and anxious about all kinds of things. One thing is necessary. Notice Jesus is saying, Martha, I've had my eye on you, and you're anxious, and you're troubled from doing too much. And notice what else he says. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Now, what is the one thing that's necessary? Well, what is that one thing? Was it uh, getting the dust bunnies up? No, probably not. Was it making sure there was another lamb for everybody? Probably not. What was it? One thing is necessary. Well, that's... That's the better thing, and that's what Mary has chosen. Mary has chosen the good portion. The NIV says, uh, Mary has chosen what is better, which will not be taken away from her. Mary's chosen what's better. Martha, you must not try to run Mary's life for her. Mary's responsible for what she does. You're not responsible for running her life for her. I'm not going to order Mary to do what you tell her to do because Mary's already chosen the better thing to do, the best thing to do. And notice it will not be taken away from her. See, the question is, who's really in charge of our lives? You Marthas, do you want to be in charge of everybody else's life? Because you really know what's best. And you know what to tell them to do so that everything will just turn out all apple pie and smiles. Everything will be great. Or do we recognize that it's the Lord Jesus who's in charge? And we need to listen to Him. And when we have the opportunity to have a one-on-one with Jesus, it's time to sit down at His feet and to listen. Now, obviously, there are times to do things. Remember the when... Uh, the children of Israel had crossed uh, into the land of Canaan. And uh, the idea there at, uh, uh, 
when they came in and they and the first city that they attacked when the, when they uh, attacked Jericho and it said everything is under the ban everything is to be destroyed that is except uh, you remember the woman who had uh, who had helped them who had helped the spies and said uh, uh, you know Rahab was was to be spared and the and the family who was with her in her in her place but there was a guy named Achan who stole who found a wedge of gold and he found a Babylonian garment and instead of destroying those things like he was supposed to they were dedicated to the Lord instead he took them and hid them under the inside his tent and as a result the next little city they went to uh, Israel was defeated before their enemies and Joshua just about came unglued you know oh my Lord you brought us into this land and now the word's going to get out that just a few thousand guys can come out here and put a big whipping on all of us and he fell on his face before God and you remember what, what the Lord said to him he said you need to get up off your face he said, there's sin in the camp and you need to deal with it. Now, what's the point that I'm making? There are times when we need to sit in the presence of Jesus and listen when He's speaking to us. And there are other times when we need to be about, we need to be busy about the Lord's business and take care of things. There's, there's, there's sin in our lives and, and we need to confess that sin and deal with that sin. Maybe uh, talk to somebody else about, uh, about a relationship that we have with them that's been severed, uh, about reconciliation. There's a time for all of these things. And in this case, it says, Mary's chosen what's better. And it's not going to be taken away from her. Martha, you're the one that's anxious. You're the one that's troubled. Martha, Mary has chosen what is really the better thing. And you've got to stop trying to run Martha's life. You've got to, and you've got to quit trying to run my life telling me what I need to do. I'm not going to order Mary to help you. So here we begin to get a flavor for the sort of personality that, that Martha has. Again, a very practical kind of woman. Decisive. Take charge. Type A. No doubt about it. But notice that Jesus' rebuke of Martha was not because she wasn't in the group listening to him. No, she, she didn't say, look, you ought to be in here with Mary. He never said that. But it was because of her self-serving attitude toward Mary and toward Him. You know, it's almost as if Martha was going to have to, because of the kind of person that she was, the kind of personality that she had, everything had to be just perfect. Well, it wasn't working out that way, and she wasn't getting any help from Mary. And so all of a sudden this awkward situation arises where she's rebuking the, the God of the universe, and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she's just self-serving. And she's going to use Mary and use the Lord so she would feel better about her own situation that she's in here. She was the harried hostess in Luke chapter 10. That brings us to John chapter 11. And here we see Martha as the managerial mourner. 
Uh, in John chapter 11, uh, Jesus and his disciples are in Perea. Perea is just to the east of the Jordan River. Um, that's where uh, John the Baptizer sometime earlier had been doing some baptizing himself. By now, of course, he's uh, he's been beheaded. And uh, this is, as I mentioned to start with, this is just a couple of weeks, I'm sorry, a couple of months before the crucif- before Jesus' crucifixion. And so Jesus is down in the in the in Perea, which is just right across the river from Judea. Because what's going to happen is going to be happening in in and about Jerusalem, and so he's in the correct the proper area for all of this to happen. John 11, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Well, well, Jesus loved Martha and loved Mary, and of course he loved Lazarus. But why would they say that? Why wouldn't they just say, uh, Lazarus is, had not been feeling good, and in fact he's had a turn for the worse. Would you come over here and help? And of course Jesus wouldn't, if Jesus had wanted to, he wouldn't have even had to go over there and help. He could have just spoken the word. We've seen that throughout the Gospels where, you know, your son is well, your daughter is well. And if they find out uh, the next day when they run across somebody said well at such and such time yesterday that was uh, there was just a real turn and and your son's fine and and they look at their watch and they say well my goodness that was the time when Jesus said he's well so Jesus could just pronounce things from a distance uh, time and space were no problem for Jesus but the sisters didn't do that. They said, "The one whom you love is ill." And so it was like, it was like they, there was sort of a pull here where they wanted to um, get G- Jesus had to come over. But the reason he had to come was because of the affection that he would have uh, that he had for Lazarus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, "This illness does not lead to death." Well, wait a minute. If you've read this, if you read your homework, you know that uh, what happened to Lazarus. That's right. He did die. Um, of course, he didn't stay dead, and that was not the. And that was part of the whole purpose of what's going on here in John chapter eleven. When Jesus heard it, he said, "This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it." Notice the purpose of Lazarus' illness was what? That God might be glorified. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Now he loved them, but he delayed. He didn't just hightail it over there and say, Ooh, come on guys, we need to get over there before something worse happens to Lazarus. Well, no. Again, if he wanted to, he could have just said the word and Lazarus would have been healed. It says, then after this he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. It's, uh, <clears throat> of course, this is where uh, some of his disciples get a little upset. We say, well, you know, last time we were over there, they tried to kill you. And they threatened if they saw you again that that's exactly what they do. So they weren't real excited about crossing the river and getting back over in that area again. And it's at that point where Jesus says, no, we're, we're going. And, and I think it was Thomas who said, well, let's go die with him. Uh, you know, you admire Thomas' dedication, but he was not exactly uh, 
real excited about what was going on. So anyway, they make their, uh, uh, let's go to Judea again. And in verse 11, he says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Notice, Lazarus had been ill, but Jesus waited until he died. This fall asleep, falling asleep is a euphemism for death because when you when you're lying there and your body's dead, there there is the the appearance, at least early on, that uh, it's kinda like sleep. And the disciples said, and now notice the, the disciples were not the sharpest people around. It says the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. In other words, he'll wake up. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there. Notice, uh, Lazarus' illness and his death were for the glory of God. We saw, we've already seen that. But notice also he says, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I'm glad all this happened. He said, well, well, wait a minute. So this illness and death were for God's glory, but it was also for something else. And it was for the disciples' faith. Now, why? Because in about two months' time, they're going to face the be faced with the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus is preparing them for that. For your sake, your sake, you disciples, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let's let's go to him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So he had died four days earlier. Uh, so... Uh, because uh, remember, they buried him on the uh, on uh, in Jewish and the Jewish custom was to bury a person on the day that they died. <clears throat> now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Just like we do today, when someone dies, we you know take a casserole over there and go by and tell them how sorry we are. So when and and seek to console the family and and, and encourage them. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So, notice this time when Martha heard that Jesus was coming. Now, back in Luke chapter 10, it was an unexpected visit. This time, Martha knows that Jesus is coming. And instead of waiting in the room there with her sister Mary and with all of the mourners, Martha just heads off to, to meet Jesus before He even gets there. So she sort of meets Him on the outskirts of town, as we shall see. Mary remains seated seated in the house. So there's going to be this uh, uh, confrontation that takes place uh, on the outskirts of town. Martha said, and, he, and, uh, and, and notice how it begins, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Well, you know, Lord, if uh, if you'd come on when we called you, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. 
But you sort of dilly-dallied around, and now we're going through all this. Now I know that even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, that is God the Father, He'll give it to you. What, now, what do you think Martha means by that? She said, well, something most of us would think, well, he's saying, you know, well, Jesus, I guess, could, could raise him from the dead. But as we'll see, that probably is not what Martha had in mind. So there's a direct accusation by Martha, you should have listened to me. And then there's this indirect insistence, right? You know, you, you you could fix this now. And of course, obviously, one of the ways it could fix it would be by raising Lazarus from the dead. But some of her conversation later on makes us wonder, is that what she really meant? And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And it's at this point that, that my inclination is, well, if I heard that from, if I were Martha, and I heard that from Jesus, you know, well, you can fix this now. I know that even now, whatever you ask from God the Father, he, He'll do it for you. Uh, well, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. And I would have said, now that's, that's exactly what I was talking about. Now, the best thing for you would have been here when I called you. But at least this is the second best thing. At least you can go ahead and raise him from the dead. But notice, that's not what Martha says. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Notice, Martha's a real theological kind of person. She, she knows the right answers to the theological questions. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? Do we believe that? She said to him, Well, yes, Lord, I I believe you are the Christ. Notice her confession. This is a marvelous confession of faith. But did she believe that she would never die? Did she believe that Lazarus would come back. Yes, Lord, I believe You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And when she said this, she went. Called her sister. She left. That was it. You know, uh, I don't know what Jesus has got in mind, but apparently it's not what I had in mind. And she just leaves. Incidentally, this verse 25 where it said, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is His fifth I am claim. But notice, Martha's response is she's she's orthodox. She's uh, she's got her she's got her theology straight, and yet she's having you know I know it's going to be okay in the by and by, but it's not okay right now. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, "The teacher's here, and he's calling for you." Well, if he was calling from her, that's just something that John has left out. That that may indeed be the case. And when she Mary heard. She rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her, that is with Mary in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her. Now isn't it interesting that when Martha left, they didn't follow Martha. Now, is it because Martha just kind of slipped out of the back, said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to head him off at the pass. I've got some things I need to say to him. Because we wouldn't be having it. We, we wouldn't be going through all this if he'd done what I told him to do. Because I always know the best thing for everybody else to do. If people would just listen to me, the world would just be great. See, that was, that was her attitude. 
but nobody went with Martha. Now, was it because she slipped off or was did she storm out the front door to meet Jesus? And folks said, man, I think I'm just going to stay right here because Martha looks like she ready to explode. I, I don't know the answer to that. But anyway, when Mary rose and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now remember, Jesus, we have from the Gospels two occasions, and I'm sure there probably were others, but there are two occasions prior to this where Jesus raised people from the dead. Uh, in Luke chapter 7, the widow of, of the son of the widow of Nain was raised. Remember, he was uh, he and he'd been dead for less than twenty four hours because uh, they he was on his, they were on their way to the cemetery to bury him, and he stopped and uh, stopped the, the procession and raised him from the dead. And then in Luke chapter eight, there's the daughter of Jairus at Capernaum who had died that same day. Uh, that is the daughter and. She was raised from the dead. But both of those instances, and those are the, the two, that, that, that at least that I recall, that the New Testament, uh, the Gospels talk about, both of them occurred in Galilee, which was way up in the north. There are no instances of any, no recorded instances of anyone being raised from the dead down in the south, that is down in Judea, uh, down around Jerusalem. And probably it would have created quite a stir anyway, because remember, uh, Jerusalem is where the uh, the Sanhedrin was located, and that was made up of scribe, uh, of Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees were the fighting fundies. They believed in angels. They believed in the resurrection. Uh, the Sadducees, on the other hand, were sort of the deists of the day. They didn't believe in any kind of uh, miraculous kind of stuff. And uh, they certainly didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And so if Jesus had been there, down there doing that kind of thing, it might have created a tremendous furor, uh, even more than generally accompanied Jesus. And uh, Jesus was on his own time frame. He knew exactly when he was going to the cross, and he knew he would die at this particular Passover that was coming up. So, Mary's on her way to meet Jesus. And it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet saying to Him, Lord, if You'd been here, my brother would not have died. Well, now how was how that different from what Martha had said? Well, it's the same words, but notice it tells us here about Mary that when she said it to Jesus, she fell at His feet. And it's... Was that because she was just overcome with emotion? Was it because that, that's an acknowledgement that Jesus is who He really is, that He is indeed the Lord? And it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in His spirit and greatly troubled. Isn't it amazing that Martha is, is more of the practical one of the two sisters? And when Jesus talks with her, he talks with her on on more of an intellectual kind of level, even a theological level, 
uh, do, do you believe this? Your brother's going to rise again on the lad, you know, on the lad, uh, at, on the resurrection. I am the resurrection, and there's this theological discussion. But here, Mary's overcome with emotion, and Jesus doesn't say, "I'm the resurrection and the life." He doesn't say that to Mary at all. He enters into Mary's hurt, and he he weeps also because she's weeping. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus meets us where we are? It says He was deeply moved in His spirit and greatly troubled. And He said, Where have you laid Him? And they said to Him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how He loved Him. In other words, He's just overcome with it. He just loved Lazarus so much that He's just overwhelmed, just, just like, like Mary's overwhelmed with the death of, of her brother. There's verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man... Remember that happened back in John chapter 9 and it happened there in Jerusalem. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Notice the situation is hopeless in their eyes because death was final. You didn't bring people back to life. It was a hopeless situation. In other words... If he's really who he says he is, death is not a problem. But they didn't really believe he was who he claimed to be. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. <clears throat> now notice there's, an, uh, there's, there's a confrontation by, by Martha that took place on the, uh, on the outskirts of town. And then there's an obstruction at the tomb. But the obstruction is not the stone. Because the obstruction is Martha begins to question Jesus' methodology. There's a cave, a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Well, that's not a problem. You've got all these guys out there. They can move the stone out of the way. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor. He's been dead four days. In other words, this is a hopeless situation. Rigor mortis has already taken place. He is stinking by now. His body has become has begun to uh, decay. She's questioning Jesus' plan. She is questioning Jesus' method. Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this, Lord? Just contradictory to even ask the question. Are you sure you want to do this, Lord? And Jesus rebuked to her. Notice what He says. Jesus said, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. Jesus said, I told you what, I told you. You should have listened to me. And then what does Jesus do? Well, let's see. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, Father, I thank You that You heard me. I knew that You always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Notice, he called him by name. Suppose, he had, suppose Jesus just stood there in that graveyard. They moved that stone out of the way. And he just said, come out. Well, Lazarus would have come out. But you'd heard a lot of scratching behind other stones in the cemetery where the other folks would have been trying to come out too. The Bible says he calls his own by name. See, this is a great picture of salvation. 
We've already seen Jesus uh, talk about, uh, with his disciples, talk about death. Uh, the, the word death simply means separation. Uh, in physical death, the, the spirit is separated from the body. The body goes into the ground or is cremated and, and the spirit goes uh, to be with the Lord or goes to hell. Uh, there are two deaths that the, the Bible talks about for the true believer. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, the, in, the, in the New Testament, uh, in the Gospels, uh, it was referred to as going to Abraham's bosom or to paradise. This day you shall be with me in paradise. Paul said uh, in his writings in the epistles to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Uh, it's a place with many dwelling places, Jesus said. And it's also um, the term is used sleep. Now it's not soul sleep. It's not the spirits lying there in the ground along with the body and will be awakened one of these days. No. The, the reason sleep is used because sleep is harmless. Sleep is restful. Sleep is temporary. Um, because there comes a time when resurrection takes place and for the true believer this new spirit that we have that is trapped in this body that we're in right now when this body dies our spirit will go to be with Jesus but on resurrection day that uh, our bodies will rise and they will be changed and we, they will become like the body of our Lord Jesus and our new spirit will be joined with a new body that is incapable of sin that will always and only seek the glory of God. For the unbeliever, though, death is described as eternal fire and eternal punishment. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is called hell. But this, what we've just read here about calling Lazarus, is a, con- is a great picture of salvation because what's Lazarus' condition? He's dead. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-4 through 4, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. A hopeless, we're hopeless. We're helpless. We're beyond the help in the eyes of everyone except in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus called Him by name. And what was the result? Lazarus came to life. That's a picture of of spiritual resurrection. It's a picture of regeneration that we who were dead in trespasses and sins, that God calls us by name and all of a sudden we come to life. See, that's what we need. We need spiritual life. We can't even believe in the Lord without Him bringing us first to life. We cannot repent before God unless He first brings us to life. There were things that other people could do. I mean, you could move the stone out of the way, and as we'll see in just a minute, you could you could take off the, the grave wrappings, and that's a picture, I think, of other people being involved in our lives, helping us deal with the stinky stuff that we deal with every day, and being accountable to one another. But only God Himself can raise the dead. And God does that only at His initiative. Not at Martha's initiative. Not at Mary's initiative. Not at my initiative or at yours, but only at His own initiative. In fact, uh, if you look back in John chapter 11 again, He says, uh, when He said these things, He said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips. Notice He's still wrapped up 
sort of mummy style, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. See, he was alive. But what did he smell like? He smelled like death because his flesh had already begun to putrefy. But now he's made whole again. But the wrapping stink. And see, for us, that, that really is a apt description for us in many ways in that as believers, we've been brought to life by the Lord as He's called us by name, called us out of our sin. And yet, there are things about our lives that still stink. And you and I need each other to get out the bandage scissors and help each other remove those stinky rags. In the final analysis, all the rags won't be gone until Resurrection Day. But uh, that's what we should do. It's a, this is also a great picture of evangelism as well because uh, Martha, Martha told Mary to come to Jesus. We're commanded to call people to Jesus. That's the general call of the Gospel. We're to extend that kind of call personally. We can, Listen, you can walk out of this building and you can say to anybody you find on the street, if you will come to Jesus if you will trust in Jesus he will save you we can honestly say that it's true and we're called upon to do that go into all the world and preach the gospel and when we preach the gospel as God is pleased to do so God will open the ears the spiritual ears and the spiritual eyes of his people and he will renew them and bring them to life Mary ran to Jesus She expressed faith in Jesus. She worshipped Jesus. That's all a picture of what a true believer in Christ is like. And I think I already mentioned earlier, Jesus meets us where we are. He reasoned with Martha. He wept with Mary. What does His weeping demonstrate? demonstrates His humanity. His acquaintance with grief. Isaiah 53. He was unashamed of His humanity. He identified with other people. And He loves His own. God the Father is compassionate. He suffers with His people. He notices our tears. And one day He will wipe away all of our tears. Verse 45 says, Many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what He did believed in Him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. See, Martha Martha did refrain from directly telling Jesus what He ought to do. That, that's a positive thing. Now, she'd had a problem with that back in, uh, back in the Luke passage. But Martha continued with her same I know what's best attitude in this passage. And when she concluded erroneously that Jesus was not going to do what she wanted, she simply walked away. Well, if He's not going to do it, there's no reason for me to hang around here. Well, thank God there's a third scene that we can look at. John chapter 12. This was at Simon the leper's house. You can also read about this in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 and 7. And this is one week prior to Jesus' crucifixion, six days before the Passover. Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, notice, all it says about Martha is what? She was serving. She's not complaining. 
She's not accusing of her, her sister. Because notice what her sister's doing. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It's Judas Iscariot who has the problem. And remember the reason he had the problem. You know, he said, wow, we could have sold this and given the money to the poor. He wasn't concerned about the poor. He was a treasurer and he'd been dipping in the money. Verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you don't always have me. So this is this is unlike Luke chapter 10. This is a planned uh, dinner party. And Mary is doing something very special for Jesus. And what's her sister Martha doing? Martha's doing what Martha loves to do. She's serving. And notice Martha. She's making no demands of Jesus. She's not criticizing her sister Mary, who is honoring Jesus. Martha is in her element. She is honoring Jesus by serving and by managing the celebration. Notice, Mary and Martha both were ministering to the Lord. Mary was ministering with perfume and Martha was ministering with perspiration. What's wrong with that? There's not a thing in the world wrong with it. Nobody's complaining except Judas Iscariot. Well, what do we conclude from all of this? I point you to our uh, final section here. Jesus' delay in responding to the sister's call to help Lazarus was deliberate and purposeful. Neither the sisters nor the twelve understood Jesus' delay, and Jesus offered no explanation whatsoever. But Jesus knew exactly what He was going to do when he would do it and why he was going to do it. Notice again in verse 40 he said the whole idea the whole purpose was so that you will see the glory of God and believe. He said that to his disciples he said it also to uh, Martha and then he says and then at the end of that passage in uh, John 11, he said, many of the Jews came to believe. So they saw the glory of God and believed. Generally speaking, you and I don't understand or appreciate God's timetable. Like Martha, we feel sure that we know best when and how to fix whatever needs fixing. And we've got to learn to remind ourselves that in God's delays, though His so-called delays, that we have the opportunity to learn patience and that we also have the opportunity to grow in our faith knowing that however God acts, whenever God acts, it will be for His glory and it will be for our good. It is true that some people have been given the spiritual gift of service and sometimes called the gift of administration. It's the responsibility of all of us to serve one another. Notice uh, that passage from... um, Actually, it's not a passage. It's from Charles Wesley hymn, Lo, I Come to Do, that was written in 1747. Lo, I come with joy to do the Master's blessed will. Him and outward works pursue and serve His pleasure still. Faithful to my Lord's commands, I would choose the better part. Serve with careful Martha's hands and loving 
Mary's heart. I think one of the questions that we ought to ask ourselves regarding our service to the Lord, are, are we being led by the Holy Spirit or, are we being, or do we feel driven because there's something that we get out of it. And if you don't cooperate so that I look good and this thing turns out the way it's supposed to, you and I are going to have some real problems. Well, let me tell you, that's not ministry. That's manipulation. We're to serve one another, not try to use one another. In ministering to other people, we have to be careful not to become manipulative. We, you know, because of the inherent need that we all seem to have for affirmation, we have to be careful that our service to other people doesn't become self serving. That is, that we tend to get our strokes from other people rather than getting our strokes from the Lord Jesus, who one day will say, Well done good and faithful servant. And that should be enough for us. If our service to Christ makes us difficult to live with, something is wrong with our service. The believer's still a sinner. It's easy for us to get our priorities perverted. And so it's important for us to examine ourselves in the light of God's Word. Think about this. Stop judging other people's motives. Stop judging God. Stop excusing our behavior by saying, well, I can't help it. That's just the way I am. Well, that doesn't go along with Galatians chapter 5 where it says part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Don't tell me I can't help it. That's the way I am. No, the part of the work of the Spirit of God is for us to bring that, for us to come under self-control. Look at our pressures. Are they self-imposed? Are we serving Christ our way or are we serving Christ His way? Our responsibility is to be God's person in God's place doing God's will in God's way. What are we telling ourselves? Do we agree with what God's Word says? Remember, remember this. It's time for us to quit. Remember this, that our labors never, ever are in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. There's a time for serving. There's a time for worshiping. May God give us wisdom to serve not in a manipulative fashion and to be self-serving, but to serve in a way in which we minister to the Lord and minister to the Lord's people. Praise be to God for His grace and mercy. Let's pray. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.